We've got you covered. The Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by ElisaElana.com. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Thanks for keeping it here at the Mulberry Lane Show, where we get you up close and personal with artists, musicians, and songwriters. Right now, we're talking with drummer and founding member of Blues Traveler, Brendan Hill. And right now, we're all about the drums. So, do you have a click track in your head when you drum live, or do you just do it by feel? We don't do a click track, no. Okay. What about when you record? Don't tell anybody that we, we should, though, because I don't want to have one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, don't tell them that's possible. <laughs> well, you know, then it can be more of a feel. I think you can lose more yourself artistic more expression. that way. Yeah. I think we started recording using a click track when Pro Tools really came into, right. you know, yeah. into the forefront. But we recorded the tape and, you know, without click tracks all the way up until 2004. And, you know, you can kind of see, if you listen to records from, like, 2000 and before and then 2000 and after, it's all gotten kind of a little cleaner and a little bit more condensed and everything sort of happens right when you think it's going to happen. Right. And the excitement when you listen to like a Rolling Stones record or a Zeppelin record or Sabbath or whatever is that it is free and it is these guys just playing together. And if it sees up a little bit, that's because it was exciting and they were, you know, into it. Right. And if it slowed down, it was just like that, you know, like, oh, man, we too fast, so slow down. And then they <laughs> kind of get in the groove again. And that's what makes songs special. I mean, I think John brought this up a few uh, weeks ago. It's only been like, you know, 100 years since we've been recording music and putting it out there as a product uh-huh. to listen to again and again. It used to be, you know, it was a conductor who right. used to present this piece to an audience, and it was up to him to con- control the tempo and to maybe change a few things here and there, and you'd go to see the performance because that conductor was great or the orchestra was great. Mm-hmm. So having recorded music is the same every single time. Yeah. It's, it's a new phenomenon, and I think it's maybe the wrong direction that we're getting so kind of clinical with right. the way we're recording and, like, editing and making drum little loops and yeah. you know making sure everything is just perfect yeah the and emphasis so, um, on perfection yeah i mean you get like one little tiny uh like click or you know guitar click and it's like someone just like goes in there and like wipes it away right and, you know somebody has a breath you know it's too loud that breath is too yeah. loud because the person was just about to go blah you know about to do right the, and it know, happened why, yeah yeah why would you i mean you guys are singers you know why would you want to take away that human emotion of this is eff- you know has an effort to it so anyway uh, that's my little rant I think you've got a case there okay let's go back to 1973 that's it <laughs> okay time machine <laughs> exactly the artist Brendan Hill drummer and founding member of Blues Traveler the show the Mulberry Lane show well now you guys have had your struggles as a band talk about the death of Bobby Sheehan and how that affected everything for you guys at that point Bob was a founding member obviously and it was just the biggest blow to you know, all of us I'm when sure. we passed. You know, we were having a little bit of a hard time. It was 10 years or 12 years into our career, mm-hmm. and we'd had big success, and mm-hmm. everyone had made a lot of money, and yeah. everyone had, you know, we'd been out on the road for about two years, and we were playing college after college after gymnasium after gymnasium after, you know, like hockey rinks and making good money, but it was like these venues were kind of, uh, you know, it was, I think the end of the fall tour is just like, you know, what are we doing? We're playing, you know, all these, like, hockey rinks, and it just doesn't really feel like, you know, the acoustics sound bad, and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. I think that was the end of 98, and then we 
just decided to take a six-month break. And I think our last gig was at the Warfield in June of 99, and then there was some trouble going on with, within the group. And Bob had moved down to New Orleans, you know, which was kind of like a kid in a candy store, anything he wanted party-wise, mm-hmm. and it was just 24-7. You know, we should have maybe had our backs more and been like, you know, Bob, you need to, you know, get into a treatment program and let's keep this thing together. But we were kind of at the end of our ropes and we were yeah. You know, yeah. two years in the road. We were like, I don't want to see you for six months. And everyone kind of went their own ways. In order to keep sanity. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was obviously devastating blow and, you know, it took us uh, a long time to kind of, you know, figure out what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But we decided that we wanted to keep playing and we had, you know, this opportunity with Chan's brother, Tad, who, who was this amazing bass player, slightly different style than, than Bob. He was, you know, Bob was very rolly and, like, would kind of do peaks and valleys and was very kind of uh, leading the jam, mm-hmm. where Tad was much more succinct and kind of funk style. For me, I had to sort of relearn, you know, how to play our music with a different bass player. I bet you and, had to, because the, the bass and the drums is so intertwined. Yeah, and uh, certain parts of certain songs have to be the same bass line, because it's so recognizable. Right. But other songs, it's like, you know, that doesn't really feel like the way I would play it, and if you're okay, let's try to work out some other things, which we did, and I think that developed... Blues Traveler kind of is a fork in the road between the old Blues Traveler and the new Blues Traveler, which led to a lot of creative new horizons for us. Mm-hmm. And having, uh, you know, Ben as a keyboard player joining the group um, was amazing because that allowed some more chordal reinforcement sure. behind the soloist, mm-hmm. which allowed Chan and John to be a little bit freer at some point. You know, Ben's an amazing songwriter, uh, producer, and he has the ability to know exactly some little element that's missing in writing a song or in the studio. And you're just like, oh, yeah, that's it. That's what this needed. It's great having him in the group as well. Mm-hmm. And what about yes. John's motorcycle crash? Well, that was way early. That was 92. We were in Ogaloosa, Louisiana, and we were making our third record. But the first one, we um, were producing ourselves. And so we had this budget from A&M Records, and they were like, okay, you know, your first two records were good, and we're going to give you guys a little bit of rope and uh, <laughs> go yeah. down there and, and experiment. And so we did, and what came out of that studio was, I think, some of my favorite blues travel music okay. from Save a Soul. But right in the middle of it, we were going to the studio just like normal. I think we were recording Manhattan Bridge. Okay. And... Uh, we got a call from the sheriff's department, and he's like, you know, Louisiana, so forgive my Louisiana accent, is like, you, your boy here is lying on the side of the street, oh. and he's all messed up. <gasps> and we're just like, oh, crap. Wow. And uh, so we, we all kind of walked into the, the emergency room and saw him, and he was kind of lying on a, on a gurney, and his left leg was like behind his, <laughs> he was like all twisted up, and his arm was all twisted up, and he was in severe pain. Oh. And, you know, I think Chan and I were, like, went from white to green in about five seconds. And uh, that was our first experience of, like, really seeing our brother, you know, John, just kind of being that close to something that dramatically, you know, uh, sad. And we were all, you know, 21, 22 at that point. Yeah. I'm sure that affected you so much. And then he played in a wheelchair. Yeah. After the accident, we took about six months for him to recover and then went back and re-recorded a couple tracks just to make sure that they were all done right. And then we did the steel wheelchair tour, which was John, John being pushed around by a bunch of college kids, you know, up and down ramps, up on the stage, and, and, you know, he sat in a stool once he got on the stage, and, you know, God bless him, we did a horde tour with him in a wheelchair, and 
Yeah, I think he was really uh, a trooper for wow. going through that. Because, you know, I mean, I think about going on tour, it's like a tour bus, you got the stairs to the venues, you got, yeah. you know, all these places, which even back then, 92, weren't like ADA compliant. Right. You know? Tough to maneuver. Exactly. During that period, he wrote Run Around and Hook and huh. Stan. And, uh, wow. Yeah. You so wonder if, if that hadn't happened, if he would have written those songs. I know. Well, he certainly wouldn't have written Stan, because <laughs> definitely about, it's a long way to fall. You know. <laughs> right, That's exactly. very true. So speaking of Hook, did you watch Emma Stone on Jimmy Fallon? That was awesome. Wasn't that? We were, we were actually sitting in a studio in okay. L.A., uh-huh. and we've been doing these collaborations uh, records. Uh, we've got a new management company that's you know, been awesome, and they've been kind of getting us to work with a lot of different artists and we've got a really exciting project that I can't talk too much about but we're thrilled and we know people are going to just be like no way oh cool um, but so anyway we were in uh, the 606 studio in LA uh-huh. we got this text you know all of us got a text sort of at the same time from different people like did you see this last night and we were like what <laughs> and and it was like you know Emma Stone was lifting the hook and we were just like no way you know it's so cool yeah and uh but I think it got, you know, like 20 million hits, and yeah. you just couldn't believe it. So thank you very much, Emma Stone. And yeah. uh, I think John sent her like a little reply, like him doing something from Easy A or something uh, like that. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty good. So A&M, yeah. Vanguard, 429, you've had multiple record deals. So what is your opinion on record contracts versus the independent route? We've been through the whole gambit. You know, we started out, we made our first record. We actually pressed on LP. And we went through cassettes, and we went through CDs, uh-huh. and we went through iTunes. And, you know, I think we are, we're at the point where we realize that as a younger band, your fans are probably going to be rabid enough that they're going to buy every single thing you put out. Uh-huh. And as you get a little bit older, I think, you know, people really want to see you live, and they'll check out your stuff on iTunes, and if they really like it, they'll buy it. They have to kind of, like, be aware of it, and you've got to make sure that they haven't had, like summer camp payments the week before or whatever it is that they have to save up for. Right. Um, It's a different genre when you're dealing with, you know, people that are contemporaries in Mm -hmm. their mid-40s or early-40s, whatever. Uh When we talk with this new management company, they're like, they said to us, I can't believe you're not, A, you know, marketing yourself better, you know, putting yourself out there. You know, a lot of people thought we were kind of you know, didn't John die, you know, two years ago, something like that, and there's all these weird rumors, and uh, right. there's so much information out there, unless you are putting yourself out there, you you know, people don't know, uh-huh. so, but you have to do it in a way that's not kind of too, like, look at me, I'm doing this, right. uh, you have to kind of do it in a cool way, so we're, we're getting people that know how to do it in a way that... <laughs> cooler than we would do it. <laughs> Which, uh, and, uh, That's pretty cool of you, of you to admit it. <laughs> you, know, you know, we're musicians, and some musicians nowadays know how to market themselves in an amazing way. We do have in Tad, our bass player. He's very savvy. He was like a coder okay. when he was yeah. when we picked him up, and he's the most savvy in the group. And he's the one who's like, you know, you guys have to enter something into your Facebook or Twitter thing exactly. at least once a month. <laughs> well, Come you on. know, it's just <laughs> another hat to wear, as if musicians don't have enough the whole marketing gotta keep it going well this has been really fun yes brendan thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your stories great from a drummer's perspective as well really enjoyed talking to you thank you all right brendan hill from blues traveler well come along with us to break with the classic blues traveler song here's the mountains win again we'll be right back with the wrap-up and a couple of patriotic songs from us 
to celebrate this holiday weekend. This is the Mulberry Lane Show. I pick up my smile, put it in my pocket, hold it for a while. Try not to have to drop it, men are not to cry. So how am I to stop it, keep it all inside? Don't show how much you rock it. Ooh, can you feel sad? 